the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, if you're a long-time listener to KFAX Radio, and by long time, I mean not just three or four or five years or seven or eight or ten. How about 20, 30, 40? <laughs> Want to try 52 years? 52 years marks the partnership that we have enjoyed at KFAX Radio with World Missionary Evangelism. And joining me now is the president of World Missionary Evangelism, Pastor Daniel Moore. And Pastor Moore, what a delight to finally get a chance to catch up with you. Welcome. Brother, it's such a blessing to be here with you, you guys, and we just love so much our KFAX listeners. They've been such a blessing to us over the years. We'd like to spend some time today talking about those years and, and helping listeners to a broader degree understand and appreciate the impact that World Missionary Evangelism has had not only over the 52 years of our partnership together here at KFAX Radio, but as well as impacting the globe for Christ. So maybe we can kind of turn back the clock for a moment. I realize some of this will will predate both of us, but spend a moment, if you would, Pastor Moore, and talk about a little bit of the history of world missionary evangelism. And again, for those longtime listeners, they will undoubtedly recognize the name of John Douglas. Well, it, it goes back to a crusade held by Dr. Johnny Douglas in India, where he preached a gospel message in front of 20,000 people. And after the message, you know, it was a great success. They saw people get saved. Well, after the, 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 the revival was over, they brought seven orphan kids to him. And they said, if you really believe the message you're teaching, what are you going to do with these children? We're leaving you. Wow. And so that challenge turned into... Uh, a, a blessing. It turned into homes for children. It turned in for, into food for hunger. It turned into supporting or, orphan children, which now number in the thousands. Isn't that remarkable? And that all began from a missions crusade in India all those years ago. And, and I love that sense of challenge. If this is what you really believe, prove it. And, and I guess there's an important message that resonates down through the years, even to today, uh, that our faith is not something that we just experience. You hear sometimes people say, well, my faith is a very personal and private thing to me, and yet God wants us to serve him in a very real and open way and do so in a fashion that, that is impactful, not only to our next-door neighbor, the people we come in contact with, but in the example of world missionary evangelism literally around the globe. 
Yes, you're you're right, brother. And it's about having that heart for God. Do you really believe what you're, you're, you're what you've been taught? Do you really believe the the gospel message? Well, you're, we believe that if you really believe that gospel message, your lifestyle is going to show it. World missionary evangelism, and we'll, we'll kind of um, peel back the layers of the onion in our in our conversation today, Pastor Moore. But world missionary evangelism certainly has its hands in a lot of aspects of global missions. You mentioned about the Food for Hunger program. There's child sponsorship program, uh, certainly support of native missionaries, which I want to spend some time talking about because it's such an incredibly effective means of reaching the world for Christ. But maybe before we get into many of the aspects of WME's outreach, let's give us a little bit of background, if you would, of, of yourself and how you came to world missionary evangelism. Brother, you know, it's amazing how God does things. I, I started off as a volunteer. About uh, 15, 20 years ago, I started off helping in some of the mission projects. Our church, I at that time was a pastor, and I partnered with World Missionary Evangelism. And we began to do some outreach uh, in Latin America, Nicaragua, Mexico. And uh, I was just so excited about what God was doing here at World Missionary Evangelism. Little did I know 20 years later I would be serving as their president here. And But it's amazing how God does things. But I saw that heart of God. I saw that that they loved the poor. They loved those that were in need. They had that, that heart from God to minister to those that are hurting. And it, it, I, it, it started a relationship, and, and I didn't know at the time what God would, would have me working as their president. But as it turns out, here I am. Uh, serving the Lord as the president here of World Missionary Evangelism. There was clearly at some point in, in your life as a believer, perhaps as a pastor, that, that the Lord really planted, planted a seed, a burden for world missions. And, you know, it's interesting. There are some people that understand it, they get it, they're fully engaged, and others that say, well, that's for somebody else to do. I mean, I, I get the Judea thing, and I can, you know, I can teach vacation Bible school or or share my faith here in town. But the missions work, yeah, you, you, you got to get a passport, speak another language. That's that just not something that I that I really feel called to. But what about yourself? Well, what is it about overseas outreach that, that really resonated with your heart? Well, you know, I, I, it takes me back to the scripture. The scripture in Psalm seventy-two, twelve, it says, "He is a deliverer to those that are in need, to those that cry. He is their helper." And so we see God's heart there. God's heart is for the hurting. God's heart is for those that are lost. And God's heart is for, is. I think we live a very self-centered, comfortable Christianity that places us at the top of the the. the places us at the top and we forget about the need we forget about the hurting we forget about uh, having the heart of god for those that are suffering and uh, when i saw the love that this ministry has for those that are hurting uh, i said lord I, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to be a part of that and uh, by god's grace we've seen god heal the hurting we've seen god touch those who are are in such great pain right now Scripture talks about, I think, that imaging of uh, the Matthew 24 and 25 and the notion of, you know, when I was in jail, you visited me. When I was sick, uh, you cared for me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. Well, when did you do, when, when did we do all these things? Whenever you did so to the least of these, you did so as unto me. And I think that sense of burden of understanding that we're enormously blessed, particularly in, in, in the United States and the Western world, of there's so many around the globe that, that do not 
enjoy the blessings that we have and the ability to not only address felt needs, but then most importantly and predominantly to also address spiritual needs and to bring the message of hope of the gospel. You know, anybody that's ever been on an overseas mission trip knows the the particularly unique dynamic of watching the Holy Spirit at work and to see the way in which God does amazing things up to and including the miraculous as a means of showing his love through us for people of other nations. Yes, brother, and just to see that that move of God and and to see how God is touching people's lives and and touching people's hearts and and I'll give you a, a quick testimony from the field. We were we're actually in a lot of countries that are predominantly Muslim, predominantly Hindu, Buddhist, and one of those countries is Sri Lanka. And in Sri Lanka, we've built over seventeen water wells. And uh, the last water well we were going to uh, build there, the the uh, monks rose up and said, we don't want these people building any more water wells here uh, because they're here to evangelize. They're here to, to uh, proselytize. Well, the people in that community rose up and they said, you're going to let these people help us because these people have shown us nothing but love. Well, uh, the, the the monks uh, let us let us build the, the water well there, and it was we built it right by a church, and this was a small church that had probably had about thirty people attending. Well, now that church is has, is probably a hundred plus that are attending on Sunday morning. So it's just amazing to see God's hand move. Yeah, and to see in which the, the strategic approach, you know, not everybody equates digging a well with evangelism. And yet I think the two are, 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 are married at the hip. I mean, for example, look at the ministry of Christ on earth. Isn't it, I think, notable that every time he did public speaking, public ministry, there was always emphasis on... On meeting felt needs, whether it was something broad and big like feeding the 5,000 or, or, or going to the blind man and restoring his sight. It is a way in which God uses us to demonstrate his love for his creation. And, and really, as you suggest in this example, uh, Pastor Moore, being able to use it as a means to essentially create that permission, that gateway by which we might reach others for Christ. Yes, yes, and and it's about being strategic. It's about using what God, those tools that God gave us to to help. You know that 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 food. How can you you um, not love somebody who's there for you? How can you not love somebody who who shows you love, not only in word but also in deed? Who helps clothe you? Who helps feed you? Who tells you about a God who loves you and cares for you? We're visiting today with Pastor Daniel Moore, president of World Missionary Evangelism. If you're a longtime listener to KFAX Radio, you are undoubtedly familiar with this ministry. We invite you to tune in, of course, to the broadcast Monday through Friday, 1145 here on KFAX. And you can get more information online by going to WME, think World Missionary Evangelism, WME.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're visiting today with Pastor Daniel Moore, President of World Missionary Evangelism. If you're a longtime listener to KFAX Radio, you are undoubtedly familiar with this ministry. We invite you to tune in, of course, to the broadcast Monday through Friday, 1145 here on KFAX. And you can get more information online by going to WME, think World Missionary Evangelism, WME.org. Pastor Moore, we've talked a bit about the outreach of this ministry going back 
back, my goodness, 60-something years and, and 52 of that in partnership with KFAX Radio. Maybe you can spend just a couple of moments and help our listeners gain some deeper understanding in terms of the strategic places where world missionary is, is evangelism is working and what you're doing there. You mentioned, for example, working in many Muslim nations, which suggests to me that you're not just going for the low-hanging fruit. You really want to get out there and go to where some of the challenges may be the greatest, but the opportunity is equally as great. Yes, and we've seen God's grace. We've seen God open these doors, and wherever God, you know, it all goes back to, to uh, our, our founder, John E. Douglas, answering the call of God, being obedient to God. When he obeyed God and he uh, saw that challenge with those seven orphan children, we, that's the same approach we take today. Wherever we see a need, wherever we see a hurt, uh, we believe that it's, a, it's God opening a door for us to minister. It's God opening a door. We recently started, not only, we're, not only are we doing things around the globe, but he, also here in the U.S., we recently started a feeding program for our homeless veterans here. And uh, we also have a feeding program that's been going on now for many years in South Texas and in West Virginia and these very poverty-stricken areas. So wherever God opens a door, wherever we see God uh, recently with the Ukrainian refugees, and and for us it's not a, a political issue, it's a people issue. We're there to minister to those that are hurting, to those, and we do it without government funding. We do it without any uh, government grants, everything we do. And we do it for a reason, because we do it, we unapologetic about the message of Christ. Behind everything we do, we want to make sure people know that it's because of, of our faith in Christ. It's because of our passion for Christ. And it's because we want to see people not only meet their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. I get the sense, and perhaps, Pastor Moore, you can speak to this more specifically, but I get the sense that, that partnerships are kind of the, um, what should we call it, the secret sauce of the success of world missionary evangelism, be it partnerships with ministry organizations, churches, pastors, believers, boots on ground, in country, all the way to the unique partnerships with the listeners that stand behind the Ministry of World Missionary Evangelism. Kind of speak to that that importance and what those partnerships look like. And th- thank you, brother. And you know, for for and you mentioned this now for over fifty plus years, this Bay Area has been such a blessing to us. And as far as extending the work of the gospel, and uh, maybe there's churches out there that would love to partner with a mission or- organization. Maybe there's uh, a prayer group or or just somebody that feels in their heart uh, has that burden in their heart for missions. Well, I want to invite them to look at our webpage. I want to invite them to give us a call, and we can give them more information. We can can tell them about the different areas of ministry we're at because it's a very vast ministry as far as outreach. We are doing children outreach. We're doing native missionary support. We're doing uh, building churches around the globe. We're also digging water wells. Our Food for Hunger program is something that's done worldwide along with our disaster relief uh, that we do across the U.S. and wherever there's a major disaster, World Missionary Evangelism is there. Information, by the way, uh, to which uh, Pastor Moore suggested you can get on the web at WME, think World Missionary Evangelism.org. That's WME.org. You 
referenced Pastor Moore, Native missionary, and I want to have you perhaps expound upon that. You know, certainly for a long time uh, in the in the 18th and 19th century, the idea was, well, you find somebody who has a burden for missions, you put them through a training program to understand that Native language and culture, you raise support, you send them overseas, they spend a couple of three, four years kind of getting a sense of the feeling of the lay of the land, maybe they start a Bible study group, they do some evangelistic meetings, they plant a church, and largely oftentimes find sometimes resistance locally because there's significant cultural differences. Not everybody does church the same way. In recent years, though, we find more and more this notion of training and equipping native missionaries who already know the culture, already know the language. Um, you, you don't have to raise huge sums of support because oftentimes uh, it's, it's more inexpensive for them because they are locals. And largely we find a tremendous degree of success by helping to encourage native missionaries. So instead of an American sending in, going to India to teach an Indian about Christ, it's Indians teaching other Indians about Christ. Speak to that if you would, please. You're 100% right. You know, when we, uh, a few years back, we went to Cuba, and I remember we were driving on a, on a what was like a freeway, and then it turned into a dirt road, and then it turned into a uh, a lot of bushes, and then we finally arrived a remote village that I didn't even know. It looked like uh, time had uh, like they were stuck in you know, fifty years ago, literally, and uh, it was amazing that there were workers there already there working and evangelizing and and so we saw how this uh, helped us have boots on the ground immediately uh and and you mentioned it it's it, uh, about the problems we've had over with sending missionaries over the years, a lot of the times you have to have uh, visa. There's visa concerns. There's also huge amounts of money involved as far as sending them out and then bringing them back. Sometimes they, they can only go out for six months at a time. They have to come back, and then they have to go back to that, uh, that area where they're in. Well, we've seen that by supporting the Native missionaries, the people who are already on the ground, it allows us to get to the work quicker. It, al- it allows us to uh, help those who are already there. They know the culture. They know the food. They know the people. And they know the language. And even if you learn their language, uh, there's things that get lost in translation. But these people are there. They love the Lord. And in many cases, we're able to help them with Bible tracks. We're able to help them with bicycles. We're able to help them with uh, musical instruments. So we're we're able to lend a hand to those that are already on the field. And that's so exciting because it, it as you say, is, is far more effective. It allows you to also distribute resources in a more effective way that where heretofore it, it might take, for example, for a church, their entire missions budget to just support one or two missionaries. We're now getting involved in programs like what's offered through World Missionary Evangelism to help support Native missionaries. You can really really increase the impact of your your church's commitment or your individual commitment. And as you point out, you get to the success level so much more rapidly that it's a very exciting, I think, new dynamic in overseas outreach. 
Yes, brother, and it, it and we we've met with a lot of these native missionaries. We've been with them, and their heart that they have for God, the love that they have for God, and these are people that are so. Uh, I call them the, the 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 salt of the earth because many times we'll ask them, well, "What do you guys need? What? How can we help you guys?" And it always goes back to the people. Well, the people need tracts. The people need Bibles. And so these are men and women who love God, and we're helping them uh, continue their work for God in those areas. So in addition to things like supporting Native missionaries, uh, undoubtedly that goes right part and parcel to things like church planting. You mentioned about providing scripture. What are some of the other projects that World Missionary is involved with that you found really to be effective? Well, we have we have schools. We also have a school in Kenya, a school in Nicaragua. And I'll tell you something about our school in Nicaragua. Our school in Nicaragua is such a special place to us because uh, it's it's a school that's open to the public. It's a school that's open to, to those who, who who are able to to, to go to that, that particular school. But we also have a church on the ground. So every morning, not only are they provided with an education, but they're provided with chapel with a chance to receive and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And WME provides a warm meal for these children, in many cases a backpack, in many cases a school uniform. And all these kids also not only receive school books, but they receive a Bible where they can learn about the gospel of our Lord. It's exciting to see the impact of this ministry down through the years and, and that thread of, of ongoing outreach and, of course, uh, faithfulness, which uh, if anything, certainly at the core, describes the impact of the ministry of world missionary evangelism. If your interest has been piqued, maybe your church has prayed about wanting to get involved with world missions and yet wasn't sure how to approach it, or you need some guidance, or perhaps you're just an individual that has a heartbeat for this, and you like what Pastor Moore has had to share today, and you want to find out more, we invite you to do a couple of things. First, tune into the broadcast, World Missionary Evangelism, with Pastor Daniel Moore. It's heard at 11.45 p.m., Monday through Friday on KFAX. And in addition, you can get all kinds of information about resources available and all of the various effective programs that World Missionary Evangelism is involved with, not only domestically here at home in disaster relief and things of that sort, but certainly globally. Information available on the web at WME, think World Missionary Evangelism, WME.org. Once again, that's WME.org. Our thanks to Pastor Daniel Moore, President of World Missionary Evangelism. Pastor Moore, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your heartbeat and uh, some of the good news of what God is doing through this amazing ministry around the globe. Thank you so much for having me, brother, and a special God bless you to all of our wonderful family there in the Bay Area. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When you think of it, so much of life has become temporary. There are those of us with a little bit of gray around the temples, old enough to remember the fact that, well, today, no longer do you collect gold watches after, say, 25 or 30 years of service to one company. We no longer raise families and retire in the same home where we spend ultimately 50 or more years in. And our marriages, well, they no longer make it to what was once a typical golden anniversary. Many of these challenges in the way life has changed, particularly related to marriage, goes down to one core issue that is becoming increasingly more challenging under the changes in society today to establish and maintain solid marriage relationships. But before we completely give up hope, 
there are some important key steps that you can today implement in your married life to change things around in the most dynamic and God-honoring fashion. Joining me now is Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. And Dr. Smalley, great to have you on the program. Hey, Craig. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, isn't it amazing how so much of life in just you know maybe a generation or two has changed so dramatically? Remember Dad working for the same company for 30-something years? They still live in the same house that I was raised in when I was a kid. And today, all of this has changed. We don't keep our jobs as long, we don't live in the same house as long, and sadly, we don't stay in marriages as long either. It's true. And I tell you what, you know, way back in the 70s through the, the, I I think one of the biggest things is the whole no-fault divorce. And uh, I I don't think people really realize um, how much that has really hurt us. And and, and that's why I'm thrilled as a country that right now, you know what, marriage is, is, is in the news all over the place. And I'm hoping that part of the outcome will be that we really, you know, uh, that, that we realize, like Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage should be honored by all, that, that we really learn as a country again, how do we honor marriage? What is that going to look like? Here's the absolute irony. You talk about no-fault divorce, and what we're really saying is, well, if it's nobody's fault, then it must be everybody's fault. Right. Uh, we, we all play a role in this. And toward that end, you've come up with some key steps that I think we can go to school on today to help people better understand the important relational moments. And, you know, we know that that good marriages take time and they take work. But if you begin to break it down into all of the the incremental elements, a lot of this stuff, quite frankly, is just good common sense if we just take the time enough to examine it and begin putting it into practice in our daily relational lives. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I believe one of the best things that we can do for our marriage is that we've got to learn how to work through and manage conflict. You know, there's a lot that we need to do for marriage, but if we started there, because it's inevitable, it's going to happen. You know, you can't take two people, you know, who have different personalities and genders and, and all these things and, and expect that they're not going to bump into each other, that they're not going to, you know, have conflict. They're not going to hurt and, 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 and wound each other. And, and, and the problem that I see is that so many people are, are, you know, are afraid to go through conflict. They avoid it. They sweep it under the rug. They, they, they want to ignore it. And, and the truth is that conflict can be used in our marriage to strengthen our marriage. That's when I get to learn more about my wife, her feelings, her needs. I get to learn more about myself. You know, and, you know, maybe it, it shows something's going on in our marriage that needs to change. I mean, conflict really is a good thing. If we can learn how to do this in, in, in a healthy way. And, and this is so key because what you're suggesting then, Dr. Smalley, is that, in, and oftentimes we'll couch this in terms of, well, I can't get along with my wife because, and we, you know, we'll pile a bunch of baggage there or, or the husband, whatever the case might be, suggesting that there's some sort of a, a personality defect here. But what you're really talking about, and I took note of the fact you didn't say avoid conflict, you said manage it, right. be able to work through it. So this isn't a, a personality defect, it's a skill deficit. Right, absolutely. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we use the phrase even conflict resolution. And I don't know about you, but I I don't think the goal is to try to figure out some resolution so much as it is the process. Can we develop a process that we can use anytime 
conflict comes up. So whether we resolve it or not, it's not the issue. I think it's how we do it. And unfortunately, most couples do this in a way that just doesn't work. And one of the biggest things that I see with couples is that we're taught to when we get into an argument, when we get hurt, when there's a problem, that we need to just hang in there and power through it and try to talk it through. And I think that is the biggest and worst advice that you can you can give a couple because one I don't think it works when when you're hurt when you're wounded when you're upset when you're frustrated with your spouse what I think is going on is you get these buttons of yours these emotions get pushed these buttons get pushed and then your your heart literally kind of closes you shut down and then you just start reacting and in and in that mode there is no way that you're listening. You're not able to hear. You're not able to understand. And that's why when people are in an argument, they need to kind of separate from each other. They need to take a break, a time out from each other. But I'm telling you, Craig, we're not taught to do that. We are taught to try to power through it. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. I mean, it's it's setting people up for massive failure. And that's really what, what I did in the book was to try to show you here's a process because I, what, what I love is that if you take a break and work on you first, you need to learn how to get your heart back open. Because when people have open hearts, we're able to talk all day long. But, and this is so key because, you know, I, I would imagine in, in your role as executive director of the Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family, you're hosting a nationally syndicated radio talk show. You've got patients. You've written books, the whole nine yards. Yeah. That you talk and hear from people all the time, this whole issue of conflict. It sounds to me that this is this is perhaps then less about conflict. At the end, it it's not this major difference between the two of us. In fact, we both both sides of the marriage really want the same thing, don't we? That yeah. is, to 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 the, the right to be heard and the need to hear. Right. We want the, you know people want connection. We want we want to be connected. We want intimacy. You know we we want to be heard, understood, listened to, like you were talking about. And it's just sadly what happens is that in that moment that we're hurt or in conflict or whatever it is, that that we're, we're, we we are just taught to tr- keep trying to to push through that. And, and, and it doesn't work. That's why one of my very favorite verses is in Matthew 7, 2 through 5. It says, why do you look at the dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? And I love that the scriptures give an order. It says, first, first, get the log out of your, your own eye. Then you can see clearly. And, and how I relate that back to conflict is saying, okay, when, when you're in the middle of an argument, you have to understand that your heart has now closed. You are shut down. And when you are shut down, you are more likely to, to react, to say things, to do things, to retreat, you know, in, in a way that, that's not going to help you get to where you want to be. Therefore, quit trying to talk this through first. That's part two. Part one is that I need to go off by myself and, and figure out what is going on. I need to let my emotions settle down. I need to, you know, for me, you know, prayer is such a great time to, to just to settle down, to get God's perspective, to say, hey, God, I don't know what's going on, but boy, I'm, I'm mad about something. What, what, what is the button that got pushed? You know, what, how, how do you want me to, to treat my wife? You know, you created her. Help me to understand her. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, if you work on you first, and get your heart back open, see, then you can come back into that conversation. And, it, and, and I promise you, it will go so much differently. We fail at communicating through conflict because 
usually both hearts are closed. And, and there, you just can't talk through that. And, and so often, though, we also, uh, Dr. Smalley, put so many expectations and demands on the other. Oh, yeah. That we can't control. And yet what we can control, we do nothing with. So right. if we're concerned, for example, about the fact that we feel as if we're not being heard, our spouse is not hearing me, and yet we've closed down and we're so focused on what we're not getting that we ourselves are not hearing our spouse either. Right. Well, one is an observation, but the other is something that I can actively change and that I have 100% control over. Totally. I mean, that's, again, I can, I can control me. I can choose how I want to show up. And, and, and that's why I, I say to people, you've, you've got to have a break. you just got to step away. Tell your spouse, you know what, right now I can't think clearly. I'm shut down. I'm going to go, but I'll be back. And, and, and that's, I think that's the, the, what we do to then set up the opportunity to really to work through conflict. If I can get my heart back open, see, now I'm, I, and I tell people, you, you, well, you know how your heart is open is when you want to be a listener, when you are willing to be a listener. I love in the, in the Chinese language, there's a, the, the, the character the symbol for the verb to listen is made up of three kind of little characters that come together. One stands for eyes, one for ears, and the other for open heart. Isn't that cool? Mm. So to to listen is with your ears, your eyes, and your open heart. That's the evidence to me that you're ready to enter back into that conversation, that dialogue with your spouse when you are going, I want to I want to seek to understand you rather than me being understood. Dr. Greg Smalley is with us today. He, of course, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. Information, too, on the web at smalleymarriage.com. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline with Dr. Greg Smalley continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our special guest in this edition of the program, he's Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. He co-hosts Everyday Relationships and is the president and founder of the Smalley Relationship Center. You can get more information on the web, in addition to information about his more than 40 books on the topic, at smalleymarriage.com. That's smalleymarriage.com. Dr. Smalley, just before the break, we were talking about the need to, to kind of step back from the conflict instead of just trying to pile through because that piling through process often means just making a lot of noise uh working a lot very hard to be heard but not really hearing right um and you made mention i found it fascinating uh, toward the end of the last segment about the chinese character for hearing that has to do with both open eyes open ears and an open heart so i guess it's kind of pulling back moving into neutral corners so to speak and taking account it's amazing how many arguments will will suddenly build up and gain momentum and that train is heading down the track with with no brakes when we take a moment to step back and really ask ourselves the question what is this all about we either find out that there's a whole lot to do about nothing or that it's connected to some other hurt or pain that happened in our life that that might have just been sort of reactivated by something that our spouse did or said that's right 
That's right. And that's why I, I'm, I'm telling people that, that usually it's not that we can't communicate, that we've got to learn some new communication method. I'm telling you, the problem of why we have a hard time communicating is when your heart closes, you've got these buttons that are all stirred up, and you're frustrated, you're shut down, you're now in a reaction mode, and that's why the, the, the biggest, most important step in learning how to communicate through conflict is you dealing with you, and you can't do that in the presence of your spouse. You really do need to step back, and, and that's why I always tell people when you're sort of in this timeout spot, what you're trying to do is, one, there, there is power in putting a name to how you're feeling. And again, when we're in the middle of a conflict, we're not even able to think about how am I feeling right now and put a word to that. And, and yet there's research that was done that showed that when in the middle of an argument, when people separate and they, and they think through, okay, what is it that I'm feeling right now? I'm feeling you know, devalued, disrespected, uh, uh, not good enough, like a failure. I mean, when you put a word to how you're feeling, it, it physiologically calms you down. It, 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 they see on these, these brain scans to where the, the amygdala, which is your fight or flight center, it's kind of the emotional part of your brain, brain is all lit up. When you identify how you feel, the, the brain scan showed that, that all of a sudden that information moves to the prefrontal cortexes, which is how, where you make good decisions. Mm. And so even, even the act of simply going, all right, I'm separated now, I'm on my own. What, what, yeah, what, how do I feel? What is, what's the word that I would use? It just, it has tremendous power. It's that simple. And then I, I think as Christians, what's so cool is that we take then those emotions to the Lord and we're asking for His truth. What is true about me? Is it true that I'm a failure? Is it true that I'm being disrespected? What's true about my wife? You know, and, and I, and I love that, that, that so, I think there's so many verses. That, that talk about how, 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 you know, God is truth, that he gives us the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth will lead us to all truth, you know, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what I, I love you. When you're then able to do that, you now can come back in and just do what you were born to do, which is you can talk through things with your spouse when you're calmed down and your heart's open. And you know, it's at really the end of that the, simple. And at the end of the day, reopening those lines of communication or sometimes establishing them for the first time as much as that seems to be uh, particularly intimidating particularly for us guys that don't do a real good good job emoting uh, and we, we we get very intimidated by this idea in that sense that well my wife does all the talking and I do all the listening things of that sort you've put together a list of five daily relational moments that I think dr. small it really go a long way toward teaching us just how easy it can be to communicate at that level so that the needs are getting met by by both sides of the of the couple take a moment if you would in the the four three or four minutes that we have left in our conversation just walk us through if you would these five daily important relational moments absolutely you know i in 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 why i think these moments are so important is that i think you could you can kind of boil everything down to doing this. If you want to have a great marriage, you need to, one, learn how to manage conflict well. But then on the other hand, you've got to learn how to invest, proactively invest in your marriage every day. Marriage doesn't have cruise control. You can't set a setting and think it's going to be okay. So as long as you're managing conflict, investing in your marriage, 
I mean, I'm telling you, you're going to have a good marriage. And I think one of the best ways to invest in your marriage, instead of adding all kinds of new things to your already busy plate, you know, because, Craig, I, I see that, that so many people are just we're so busy, exhausted, worn out, too much going on, overflowing plate, that when I tell people, hey, instead of adding you know, five more things you need to do now for your marriage, what if we just looked at what's going on every day and take advantage of those, use those everyday moments to strengthen your marriage. For example, every day you're gonna leave, leave the house you know, during the work week. How you choose to leave your home can either strengthen your marriage or take away from your marriage. And, and, and what we know is if you take a moment and just, you know, let's say you, you pray for your spouse, you encourage them, and, and, and give each other a kiss goodbye, that right there, you've strengthened your marriage. That should take no more than 10 seconds. See, you're not adding something else. You will leave the house. How you choose to leave can, can strengthen your marriage. You're going to return home. You know, you, how you come home and reenter your house in the evening can be used to strengthen your marriage or not. So when I come in, do I beeline for the TV? Do I beeline for the kids? Or do I walk up to my wife and say, hey, great to see you. You know, love you. Give her a kiss. Can't wait to spend time with you tonight. You mean just something that simple. Again, not at, you don't add anything. You're going to walk into your home. Just walk in, into your home in a way that's going to strengthen your marriage. Every, you're going to fall asleep at some point. How you say goodnight to your spouse can strengthen your marriage. Simply taking... 30 seconds to pray for your spouse, to thank him or her for something they did throughout the day that you appreciated. Thanks for, hey, picking up my dry cleaning today. That was a big help. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's identifying some key moments. You know, during the day as we're gone, you know, can I not send a quick little text message to my wife? I mean, I'm going to be gone. Why not just send her a text message and, and just tell her I love you thinking about her? I actually did this the other day, and accidentally, I mean, I got into sort of this, this crazy little message to my wife, sent it to my boss, <laughs> by mistake, and so he texted me back going, please tell me this was meant for your yeah, wife. I love you thinking about you. Absolutely. <laughs> and I said, no, it was for you, but uh, that made our meeting awkward, but anyway, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? I mean, there, there are moments. You know, for you, the moment might be um, we're, we're taking our kids to their sporting practice. You know, well... Can you use that to, to ask each other questions? You can listen to the radio. You can do a bunch of stuff. You can be on the phone. Or we can ask each other just some, some great questions. Hey, you know, what, you know, how'd today go? How are you feeling? How are things going between you and the kids? You know, what's one thing God's teaching you as a plate? You see, there, there are moments that go on that I think most of us just let these moments go by. And, and, and let's take those back and use them as things that can really strengthen our marriage. And, of course, the irony is it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a very little minimal amount of effort. It's simply giving a greater sense of importance to our spouse, to a sense of honoring them and valuing them. What's the old saying? It's it's the little things in life that count. And it would be amazing to see how far. And I would just, I want to challenge both the ladies and the men in the audience. Try it. Oh, you don't understand how difficult things are in my marriage right now. Purpose in your heart today to start tomorrow. When you get up in the morning, compliment your spouse. Honey, I'm glad that uh, you're my spouse. I hope you have a great day. Um, 
speak words of encouragement into their life as, you know, your husband is going off and, you know, he's got the big meeting today. Say some words of encouragement. Stop at the door for a minute, guys, before you're leaving and saying, honey, I know it takes a lot of time and energy to to maintain this household. I know you've got a big agenda today. You've got to take the kids to soccer practice and you've got a doctor's appointment. You've got to go shopping and all these things. I just want to let you know I value you and I recognize and appreciate the hard work that you do in creating such a loving home for us. Wow, how far that will go. And then, as Dr. Smalley points out, look, even the guys, we got time to check the box scores in the middle of the day. Send a quick text. Try not to send it to your boss, though. <laughs> and, let, and let your spouse know, thinking of you, babe, I hope you're having a great day. Can't wait to see you tonight. When you arrive back home, pause for a moment. You realize that your spouse, if she's been home all day, uh, and maybe young kids in your family, she's been really deprived of any adult communication. She's she's eager to connect with you. You, on the other hand, you've been out in the working world all day long. You don't want another conversation. Find a moment, if you can, between the two of you to just acknowledge each other and each other's needs for a moment. And then, finally, as you end the day, uh, to show a sense of gratitude and appreciation, a moment in prayer together. And if you implement these steps, I think you'll see an amazing turnabout in your marriage relationship. Dr. Greg Smalley, Executive Director of Marriage and Family Formation at Focus on the Family. More information, too, on the web at his website, smalleymarriage.com. And uh, Dr. Smalley, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, Craig, my pleasure. Thanks for all that you're doing to encourage marriage. You bet. Keep up the good work on your end as well. There's Dr. Greg Smalley from Focus on the Family. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.